welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, we'll be back in chapter 5 today, so if you want to go ahead and turn there. I wanted to show you all this. I'm going to be like a... I don't know, a shower offer a person like show or tell. This is an old level. It's an old wooden level, and I know you're not impressed with this, but there's one geek in here that's going to think this is cool as I do. I bought this at a yard sale. Let me take that back. I bought this at a flea market in Mountain View about a year ago, and the reason I bought it is because it has a little label up here, a Stanley label, the same Stanley toolmaker that makes tools today, and I started researching that label to see if I could find out anything about this, and, and this particular level right here is somewhere between 128 and 108 years old. Now, for me, that's cool. I can see how interested you are. You're not. But I really like it, okay, because I'm a nerd, and I thought it was really cool, because to me, it's like interesting to think about this. Like, this was being used to build houses before anybody in this room was born. Somebody was using this level before probably anybody in this room's parents were born. And that just interests me to think about how many wise grandpas and, and you know, really good builder dads, how many of this sat in their garage or in their shop. And so I bought it because I thought it was cool. But there's a problem with it. Uh, the way a level works is it has a little glass bulb here and here, and it has liquid in it, and there's a bubble of air, and it helps you know if things are level. Well, the vertical bulb is completely empty. It doesn't work. And so when I bought this, my thought was, I'm going to buy this level, this really old thing. I'm going to shine it up. I'm going to sand it down. This is all brass. I'm going to shine that up. I'm going to find a way to fix that little bulb. And then I'm going to have this really cool thing that I can show people and talk about how it's really old and, and how pretty it is and all the work I did to put it together. But what you'll notice is I hadn't done that yet. It's been a year and I haven't done that yet. The question is, why is this level still broken? Why, why has it not been made new? Why has, it, why has it not been restored? And in my mind, I'm tempted to go, you know what? I think it's not working. It's not a workable level because somebody mistreated it. They dropped it and they broke it and it's just old and, and it's not my fault. But in truth, really, the reason that this level isn't restored is because I've been kind of apathetic about it. I could have fixed it. I even have another level that's about 100 years old that I found for $9 that I found the bubble in here. I've got the parts to fix it. I've got the time to fix it. I've got the know-how to fix it, but I, I just haven't. And for that reason, the reason it's not fixed is my fault. And for a lot of us, I think relationships are the same way. We've, we've got a relationship that's, that's broken, that there's some kind of a problem in. And the truth is, you have the responsibility and you have the right and you have the ability to heal that relationship. But for many of us, we treat broken relationships with apathy, just like, ah, it'll get fixed one day. That's a lot of work and a lot of time. I don't want to put that in right now. And what I want to look at today is what should we as Christians be doing? Should we be the kind of people that are just setting those relationships aside and saying, I had to get fixed one day? Or should this be a priority for us to follow God and to restore the relationships that he has given us? If you haven't been with us, we've been in a series called Stop the Hurt. And what we're really learning to do is how practically do we forgive? Because what I have learned about Christians is we know we are called to forgive. We know we have God's forgiveness and we want to pass that on. But it is so hard for us to know, how do I forgive? How, how do I take this anger and this frustration and this pain and just let it go and say, I forgive you? 
And so we've been looking at a practical process for forgiveness. We've been defining that with the acronym STOP, S-T-O-P. And so our first step that we talked about two weeks ago, the S, was a side-by-side comparison. That's where I take a step back from my hurt and a step back from feeling like the victim. And I say, okay, well, compared to what I have attacked God with, compared to how I have hurt God, how does this hurt that I have compare? And what we find is we don't have the right to deny anybody forgiveness because our God has forgiven us of so much more than anybody could ever personally do to you or me. And so we get the right perspective in our minds to start out with, just getting the right heart and the real right understanding. Last week, <laughs> I'm surprised to see some of you back. <laughs> Last week was rough, wasn't it? Last week we talked about the T and stop, which is trust God. And what that means is we just have to believe that God knows more about our situation than we do. And when he calls us to do something uncomfortable or hard, we do it not because it's easy, but because we believe that God knows what he's talking about. So last week in trusting God, what we talked about is loving, blessing, doing good, and praying for someone who has hurt us. That is a practical step of forgiveness. And I know what you're thinking. I survived last week. The point where I came here hoping for healing for somebody had hurt me. And what you told me was to be nice to them, Brian. And so this week should be easier. You're wrong. For this week, for this week, this is maybe the hardest thing that any of us will have to face in our journey on forgiveness. This week, we have to face the O, which is own it. And what do I mean by own it? Here's what I mean. I mean that for whatever happened in that relationship or that situation or with that person, the next step in forgiveness after loving them enough to pray for them is being able to own my faults and own the parts of it that I messed up in, regardless of what they did. I'm going to steal a term from a pastor named J.D. Rogers. I love the way he puts it. He he said, as Christians, we have to own 100% of our 1%. Meaning that even if what they did to us was 100 times worse than what we did to them, we are still responsible for that 1% of the conflict that was our responsibility. And so this morning, I, I want to look at that. And I know what you're thinking is like, Brian, you don't know me. You don't know what I went through. You don't know what they did to me. And you're going to tell me that I have some fault in this. You're going to tell me to own my responsibility in it. Brian, you don't, you don't know. You don't know what happened. And you're right, I don't. But listen very carefully. I'm not saying that you're responsible for what somebody else did to you. I'm not saying you're responsible for fixing every bit of it, but I will very clearly say that you are an imperfect person and you are responsible for where you have been imperfect. And I can prove that you're an imperfect person using a verse that we all know. This is Romans 3.10. I want to meet you in Matthew 5 here in just a second, so stay there. But I love this verse. I think it needs to be the base of every train of thought a Christian starts. It says, there are none righteous, no, not one. It's the most insulting verse in the Bible. It's like Jesus didn't know me when he wrote that, right? That's what we all think. No, Jesus did know you. And he knows your heart and he knows the good things about you, but he knows you that nobody else knows. And this is what he says. He says, there is none righteous. There is a truth to who we are is we cannot be perfect. We will have take back moments. We will mess up. We will sin. And we cannot always handle conflict the right way. And so this particular verse really talks about our sin against God. There's none righteous in here with God. Not a single person in here of yourself is righteous with God. I don't care how good you are. 
But what we find with God is that he's concerned of two types of sins. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the first several of the Ten Commandments are sins against God. Don't have idols, don't take the Lord's name in vain. But if you look at the back half of those Ten Commandments, those are actually sins against who? Against other people. Don't steal, don't lie about people, don't commit adultery. And so what, what the Bible is telling us here is, is we are not righteous in our relationships with God. And because of that, we cannot be righteous in our relationships with others. And so for that reason, I can tell you without a benefit of a doubt, you've not treated everybody right. And I'm not attacking you. I'm the world's worst. I'm the world's worst at that. But what we do is we come here and we're going to take responsibility for what is ours, which is so hard. Because what we want to do is we want to compare ourselves to them. Like, well, compared to what they did, really what I did wasn't wrong. Anybody, anybody would have done the same thing I did. Trust me, if they had said that to you, you would have slapped them too, Brian. If they had done that, I would have taken that big old Route 44 of sweet tea and dumped it right in their face. Anybody ever been tempted to do that? If you haven't, you need a pastor for it. No, I'm kidding, I'm joking. That's a joke, that's a joke. Like, like, we tend to do that. But listen, denying that we have responsibility is a barrier to forgiveness. Because what that does is it teaches me that I am always the victim. I am always the one who's wrong, and they are always the attacker. If I can't look at myself and say, okay, I made a mistake here, or I might have made a mistake here, that makes me spotless and then blemished. And from that perspective, if you go through your life thinking, I am here and everybody else is here, you will never be able to forgive. Now, a correct perspective says, you know what, we're all broken individuals. We all hurt people. We all, we all do things that are wrong, and for that reason, nobody is unforgivable because I'm not unforgivable. So point number one this morning, if you've got your notes, is in my sinful nature, I have likely hurt others when being hurt. In my sinful nature, I have likely hurt others when being hurt. And I love the way that the Bible talks about us as imperfect individuals who can hurt others. The Bible says that we are enslaved to sin. And many of you have heard that you are enslaved to sin. You are enslaved to sin. Think, think about what that means. Like, think about the picture of what that means. Think about even just, if you think about American slavery and compare that to being enslaved to sin, you, you get pictures of being chained and restrained. You get pictures of being completely owned, having no control over yourself. And that's what the Bible says about you and me as human beings. We are chained. We are owned. We belong. We are controlled by sin until Jesus. And then Jesus comes in, and I love this verse. It says, Jesus came in, and he bought you with the price. So take that imagery and just think of Jesus walking in with the price it takes to buy you out of slavery and setting you free. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross, is he sets us free from our sin. So if you are in here and you are a follower of Christ, you have given your life to him, you are no longer enslaved by sin. You have been set free by it. But you're still a sinner. It doesn't control you. It doesn't own you, but you're still a sinner. And see, the Bible says this for believers. It says in the believer, every single believer has two sides of them. There's the spirit and the flesh. And the spirit is that Holy Spirit of God that he puts in us. And it does things like convicts us. It's that feeling that says, oh, you shouldn't have done that. It's that feeling that says, no, don't do that. It pulls us away from sin and pushes us more to holiness. And I wish I could say I live every minute of my life in the Spirit, letting the Spirit guide me. I don't. If you do, come talk to me. Like, I'll give you the microphone. 
Because the Bible also says that in every believer, there's a part of us that is the flesh. And it's a part of us that is deeply hungry for sin, that deeply wants to do things opposed to God. And in a believer, there's this fight. Which one will win? Will it be the spirit or will it be the flesh? Which one is going to take over? In any given situation, are you going to handle it the way the world does in the flesh? Or are you going to handle it the way the spirit of God teaches you to, te to do it? And I can say this from, with utmost confidence. We are never more likely to live in the flesh than when we are hurt by somebody. That's like the automatic reset button to sending us back to the flesh. Like, well, I'm doing so good and somebody hurts me and all of a sudden I'm just angry and bitter and frustrated because they hurt me. So let me ask you this question. With, with all of that being said, let me ask you a question. Is it possible that as a sinner that you've contribu contributed to a relationship problem with whoever you're thinking of? Is it possible that maybe some of the fault, not all of the fault, not even most of the fault, is it possible that some of that fault falls on you? And if so, what are you doing to restore it? Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. This is verses 23 through 24. And I told you last week, this is the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus talking, and he's talking about the difference between the world, how people live in the flesh, and the kingdom of God, which is how people live in the spirit. And this is what Jesus says to those of us who are trying our best to live in the spirit. Verse 23, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remembers that your brother has ought against thee, that, that word ought is often translated something, has something against you. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Okay, so let's, let's talk about what Jesus is talking about here. What, 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 what does that even mean? So, so Jesus gives us this picture. Imagine you're walking into church, right? It's Sunday morning at 1059 because that's when half of you get here. And you're walking into church and you've got your offering check in your hand. Because this, this picture really does point to a financial gift, but it could be anything. It could be your gifts to the Operation Christmas Child basket or the food pantry basket. It could be your offering in service if you're a prayer warrior, if you're welcoming people, if you're about to lead in some way, if you're gonna teach, if you're gonna sing, all of these things that are worshiping God in action. You're about to give your offering of worship to God and he says all of a sudden in reflection you realize somebody has something against me. Now, notice what that says. It doesn't say, you notice, remember somebody doesn't like you, or you remember you did something wrong one time. It doesn't even say, remember that you're a sinner. It says, remember that somebody has something against you. Be very, be very clear that, that something or that ought is more than a general dislike. It's talking about a specific event or an action that you caused. Something that somebody can look at you and say, they did this to me. As you walk into worship, and you prepare to, prepare to worship. This is what Jesus says. If you know somebody's holding that against you, you know you've given them a reason to be angry at you. You can just lay that tithe check down on the floor. Leave the stuffed animals for Operation Christmas Child in the car. Forget about your special for the day. Leave this church. Go find that person and reconcile the relationship. I believe the Bible when the Bible speaks. I believe Jesus means what he says. 
And I can tell you right now, I have not lived my life that way. I can tell you for many Christians, we don't live our lives that way. That we don't often put this instruction above other things because what we think God wants, what we think God wants is our actions and our offerings and our works and we think that that is serving God. But what God is saying here, what Jesus Christ is saying here is he does not care about those things as much as he cares about us being holy. He does not care about those things as much as he cares about us repenting of sin, even the sin that we have committed against each other. He says, leave your gift, leave your offering, and go reconcile the relationship. Practically, that means this. If you said something nasty to your spouse this morning, you get up out of that pew and you go apologize to him right now. I'm not actually calling you to do that because I said now three people hopping up would be kind of awkward. But, but honestly, that's, that's what, what Jesus is saying to us. Number two, point number two, is that God desires for his people to reconcile relationships. Okay, so that's more important than that tithe check. It's more important than the special. That's more important than leading the bridge crew this morning. You go reconcile that relationship. Don't let anybody say that there is an unreconciled issue between you and them that is your fault. See, there's a reason behind this. It's because when we sin against others and yet we call ourselves Christians, we're not glorifying God and we're not representing God with a godly heart. And whether you like it or not, everybody that you know who is not saved is viewing God through you. That means that if you give them a picture of someone who is loving and caring and full of grace and full of mercy, who is deeply repentant when they hurt somebody, that's what they're going to see of God. And if you give somebody a picture of you that is angry and unforgiving and bad, that's what they're going to associate with God because you belong to God. And so Jesus says, this is really important because in truth, your sin and not reconciling a relationship, your brokenness, your hurting of other people actually keeps people from coming to Christ. Your your actions can cause people to sin against God. We as a church, honestly, we don't say sin enough. And when we do, we don't take it seriously enough. Here's what the Bible says about sin. Sin brings death. And so when I look at my sin, it brings death. And when I look at sin that I may have contributed to in somebody else's life, it brings death on them. So why is Jesus saying this right here? Well, why is Jesus teaching this? Well, to understand that, we've got to understand the context of these verses. We don't have time to break them down. But in verses 21 and 22, Jesus is talking. And he's talking about the sin of anger. And he compares having angry thoughts or holding a grudge against somebody, holding on to frustration against somebody. He compares it to murder. He says, really, it's the same sin. It's just whether you act on it or not. So if you have murder in your heart, it's the same thing as having murder in your hands. And Jesus says immediately after that, he says, therefore, I love how Charles does therefore, every soap study. If you see the word therefore, stop and think, what is it? What is it therefore? So Jesus is saying, because anger causes sin, because sin causes death, therefore, if you find out that you have caused somebody to be angry with you, that you may be contributing to their sin, you go reconcile that. You you go fix that with them. You hold a responsibility for the sins that your actions create and you hold a responsibility for taking care of that. And you're thinking, is that right? That doesn't sound right. I'm responsible for sins other people commit if I contribute to it. Yeah, you are. 
Think of it in our, our legal code right now. There's a, there's a law, and I may not know it, but there's a law that basically says you can't get alcohol to minors. And so if a minor has alcohol that you've given to them, you're guilty because you contributed to, I forgot what it is, you contributed to them breaking a law. So you're guilty of that as well. And it's the same thing in our lives with sin. In the Bible, multiple places, it tells us to take responsibility for helping pull others out of sin and not provoking them to sin. There's one place in the Bible that says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, telling us as fathers, you have a responsibility to make sure you are not living in a way that causes your children to be angry with you. There's a place in the Bible that talks about spouses. It says you help each other resist physical temptations by caring for each other's physical needs within a marriage. You keep each other out of sin. There are multiple places in the Bible that talk about your brothers and sisters in Christ and you going to them and pulling them out of sin. So yes, if you're a follower of Christ, you hold responsibility. You hold the ability to help people or to hurt people when it comes to their own sin. So we take responsibility of what we do. If we said something we shouldn't have said, if we took revenge on somebody, even if they started it, even if we felt justified, Jesus says this. He says, lay down your worship until you take responsibility for your actions. So verse number three, or I'm sorry, verse number three, uh, take home truth number three is God calls us to take responsibility for our actions. That's so hard. Like, I don't get up here and say these things lightly. Like, hey, go figure it out. Like, this is one of the hardest things you'll be called to do is to go to somebody that has wronged you and say, hey, without bringing up everything, without bringing up the 99% of the stuff you did, I take responsibility for how I handled things. I take responsibility for the things that I said. I take responsibility for the things that I did. I take responsibility for, for how I hurt you because regardless of what you did, that's mine. So take home truth number four. Here are the practical steps that we need to be able to reconcile a relationship as Jesus calls us to. Uh, point A there is admit you were wrong. Admit you were wrong. It starts in here. It starts with me looking in a mirror and having to truthfully say, okay, Brian, you did this. And immediately my mind starts trying to figure out ways out of it. Well, compared to what they did, it wasn't that bad. No, 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 Brian, Brian, you did this. Then my mind tries to minimize it. Well, was that really bad? Was it actually, was it actually wrong? I mean, we're all human, right? And I have to look in the mirror and say, no, 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 Brian, Brian, you did this. And then I avoid it. I just won't think about it. But you have to look in the mirror and say, Brian, this is the kind of person you are. That, that something that you did caused pain for somebody. Because what we don't want is be the kind of people that said, eh, I shouldn't have done that, but. You ever had a half apology? Don't you hate those? Somebody comes up to you and like, hey, I'm really sorry I cut you off in traffic. And you're like, it's okay, it's no big deal. And they're like, but actually you were driving too fast and you were in my way and I was in a hurry because I had a doctor's point. That's not an apology, that's explaining. And isn't that how we handle things with people? Like, hey, my wife's not in here. Hey, babe, I'm really sorry that I was frustrated with you. But you know, you were kind of like doing this thing, right? Isn't that how we handle things? No, no, no. We have to look in a mirror and we have to admit I was in the wrong regardless of circumstances. Point B is confess you were wrong. That means that here's, here's what we have to do to reconcile a relationship. You have to go to that person on the phone or in person when you see them at work. If you live with them, you have to say, sit down, I need to talk to you. And you've got to confess. You've got to say, listen, listen, 
We had a bad day the other day. We've had some bad blood between us here at work. You know, that thing with our relationship didn't work out. I just need to sit down and talk to you, and I need you to know, I was so wrong in the way that I treated you or how I responded to you, and that's on me. And so I'm sorry. I did this to you, and it's my responsibility. And that may mean that after we do that, we have to sit there and humbly listen to these people list our grievances. Yeah, you did do that. You also did this, and that hurt me this way. And then we get to point C, apologize for the pain that you caused. I've learned a lot in my life about apologizing. Anybody had that person that's a serial apologizer? You know, the whole seven times 70 forgiveness thing, and you're like, I'm pretty sure we passed that with this person. Like, they do something like, sorry. They do it again the next day, and they're like, sorry. They do it again the next day, and they're like, sorry. At some point, apologies don't mean anything if they're just words. Here's what an apology is. Hey, I did this. It was wrong. I'm not perfect, but I commit to you that I'm gonna keep from doing that to you again as much as possible. And if I fail again, I'll be here to accept the or I'll be here to accept uh, responsibility for that and ask for your forgiveness again. And that sounds absolutely miserable, doesn't it? Some of you are like, I'm never coming to this church again. Last week, I got to be praying for my enemies. This week, I have to apologize to them. What kind of, the Bible's crazy. It's not normal. It's not natural. It's not supposed to be. It is completely opposite of everything we would naturally do. That's what God calls us to do. And listen to this. There's something so powerful about a believer taking a step out to follow God. Because I know what you're thinking. If I do this, they're going to hurt me again. If I do this, they're never going to think about what they did. Here's what's powerful. Imagine if who hurt you came to you and said, hey, been thinking. I did this to you and it was so wrong. That's on me. I used to blame it on you, but it was on me. And I know that that hurts you. I'm so sorry. I'm never going to do it again. Will you forgive me? Would that change your life if that person you've been thinking about through this series came and did that to you? It would for me. And so if we're the kind of people that make mistakes, which we are, if we're the kind of people that hurt people, we've got to be able to do that. And this is a powerful way to change. And I know what you're thinking. It's so unfair shouldn't apologize to them they should apologize to me some of you are thinking you're already worming your way around this one like me you're like i'll apologize to them after they apologize to me i'll do this but they're going to do it first for 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 some of us we're sitting here like if you can guarantee me this will make them stop i'll do it but listen here's the truth of following christ following christ is not easy the bible literally says Take up your cross. We love crosses. We get tattoos of them. We put them up in churches. My cross is a symbol of hope for us. A cross to Christ was a symbol of death and suffering. And so Jesus says, take up your medieval torture device of sin and suffering and carry it with you and be willing to die on that with me. Because see, this is not about, contrary to popular belief, this is not about our relationship with other people. How we handle conflict is about our relationship with Christ. And so we can go out and we can be like everybody else and do what comes natural to us. Or we can powerfully change the world, powerfully change our relationships by being like Christ as he calls us. Now let me be very clear. I want to be very clear about what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you have to go to somebody who harmed you and take responsibility for 100% of everything that hurt you. That's not what I'm saying at all. 
I'm also not saying that you have to go to somebody and excuse their actions because of what you did. That's not what I'm saying at all. They're responsible for their actions and you're responsible for your actions. All I'm saying is take responsibility for 100% of your 1% and this will bring healing. What? It doesn't seem like it'll bring healing. It does because here's what happens. We get in these cycles in relationships, don't we? You hurt me, I hurt you. You hurt me, I hurt you. And it just goes round and round and it gets worse and worse and worse. And so what you do when you take a step back out of the cycle and go, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. That's wrong of me to continue to hurt you regardless of what you're doing. You break the cycle. And this will give you a place to heal. It will also show them, it will also show them an example of how to reconcile with you. I love Proverbs. If you don't know what a proverb is, proverb is a little tiny bit of wisdom that God put in the Bible for me and you. And what it is, this is an observation about how the world works. Proverbs 16, 7 says this. It says, when a man's ways please the Lord, even his, listen, even his enemies make peace with him. I love that. I believe God's word. I believe God when he says things. And when he says that, I believe that he's not lying. So that proverb to me is a, it's a recipe. I sold this from my wife's recipe book. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm looking for cookies. She said, we don't have cookies. I said, well, there's something wrong with this household. She, she, you know what she told me? She said, you get the cookie recipe off the back of the chocolate chip bag thing. So I got coconut cream pie this morning is the recipe I've got. So here, here's what this says. Here's what this recipe says. It says that if I will take two thirds of a cup of sugar, a quarter of a tablespoon of salt, three egg yolks, lightly beaten, one tablespoon of vanilla, one baked nine inch pie shell, three tablespoons cornstarch, two cups of milk, two tablespoons of butter, three cups of flaked coconut, and then... We don't need that last one. I don't know what that is. Okay, so if I take all of those things and I assemble it in the way that it's said to assemble here, what I'm going to get is I'm going to get a coconut cream pie. You will never take this recipe and get tacos. I don't care how many times you add more eggs in there, you're never going to get tacos. No matter how sad it is, we're never going to get chocolate chip cookies in my house because we have coconut cream pie instead. Never in the history of the world can you take these ingredients and come up with a different result than coconut cream pie. What we have in this proverb is a recipe for peace. Listen to that. That is so exciting. God gives us a recipe for peace in our life. He says, if you'll take these ingredients and add them together in this way, you will get this result. So ingredient number one in this proverb is a man can be a woman or an individual. So if we take me... All right. Ingredient number two, it says my ways. What that's talking about is my actions are my habits. And we add those two things together. Do we have peace? Not yet. So you take me and my habits, the way that I treat people, the way that I live my life. And you add ingredient number three, ways that what? Please the Lord. Which means that those ways, the habits in my life, honor God and they obey him and they represent him as he should be represented. In our case today, honoring the Lord, if our ways please the Lord, is taking responsibility for 100% of our 1%. Here's what it says. You add those three things together, here is the result. Your enemies will make peace with you. I believe it. I believe the Bible says that. And I believe God put it in there because it's true. He gives us a recipe to peace with our enemies. Now notice it doesn't say, hey, you're going to become best friends. It still calls them enemies. 
but it does say peace. It says a lack of strife. And so there's a promise in the scripture. There's a way that you can end strife. A way that you can end the hurt is following God when your ways please him. Stop the cycle. Find some time to process. Work through the practical steps of forgiveness. And on the other side of that, you will find healing for your hurt, which is what we all want. We don't want to hurt anymore. Take home truth number five is we can stop strife by living as God calls us to. So we love others, we repent of our failures, we move on. And what I love about this is Christ is our example of this. Christ is our example of this. Christ came here, did nothing to nobody, but he said some things people didn't like. And for that reason, they brutally tortured him and murdered him on a cross. If you want to talk about having enemies, Jesus Christ had enemies. But there's a story about Jesus at the cross. This amazing story is that there's this soldier there. He's, he's overseeing the execution. He's probably responsible for driving the nails and pulling the cross up. And you know what he says? He looks up at the body of Jesus Christ after Jesus has died, after murdering him. And he says, surely this must be the son of God. Jesus Christ lived in such a way that even those who were in the middle of murdering him could look up at him and say, this is the son of God. And in that moment, that soldier, I believe with all my heart, that confession, he believed in Christ. He put his faith in Christ. I'm gonna see him in heaven one day. I'm gonna be like, hey, you were there? And he's gonna be like, yeah, I crucified Christ. But it's okay, he forgave me of that. And every since then, for 2,000 years, God's enemies have been making peace with him because of what Jesus Christ did on a cross. The Bible says that you and I are enemies of God. But when you hear about his love and you hear about his grace and you hear about that no matter what you've done, he died for you so that you could come close to him, it changes you. And suddenly we who are enemies with Christ make peace with him. And listen, we receive salvation not because we apologize first. Not because God did something worse to us than we did to him, but because he took it on himself to reconcile a relationship that we broke. Listen, if today, if you find yourself still not at peace with God, you can walk out of here at peace with God. All he says is, if you will put your faith in me, he's already done the work to reconcile his relationship with you. He has come and he has sought you. You can do that today. For the rest of us, man, we get to walk around in this world forgiven and reconciled to God, not because of what we did, because of what he did. And we get to go into our relationships and we get to represent that to others. So this morning, I just want to ask you as we get into our reflection time, this is, this is just a time for you to take what we've talked about today. Spend some time talking to God about it. Hey, if you're like me, I got some relationships that need to be healed. Maybe you're sitting here and goes, it's time for me to find peace with God. We can take care of that right quick in a hurry. And maybe this morning you just want to worship the God of forgiveness because you realize how hard it was for him to forgive you. Whatever it is, don't leave here with your heart the same as it came in. Let's grow in Christ together. Stand and worship with me.